I was reckon I was a kind of, you know, in a manager, newish manager position. So I was wanted to do the right thing. And she said, no, I trust you. And I'm like, no, no. Do you want to see that before I send that on? And she's like, no, I trust you. Well, just those words, those three words, I trust you. I think I worked harder on that piece of work because I wasn't micromanaged to it. It was all done on a really mutual, beneficial approach, which I loved. And I've really kept that with me, nabbed that one for my own leadership kit bag. That's the voice of Sarah Moore, Head of Workforce at PwC, speaking about management and the way we work, our topics for this episode. A truth has been at heart, which will definitely come across during this episode. Sarah has an MA from the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, but at PwC, she works across all aspects of the workforce and the business. For those of you who don't know, PwC is a global leader in professional services networks and considered one of the big four accounting firms. Now, I've personally been thinking a lot about what it means to manage people and how things are rapidly changing. Can you be a manager without specific training? What's the difference between managing and leading? Just a few of the topics I have for our leading lady, Sarah. I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSN. And in this episode of Lives of Tomorrow, management takes centre stage. We find out how management has evolved and explore what the future of management will look like. So let's pull the curtains. Sarah, could you please introduce yourself? Of course. Well, hi there, Carla. My name is Sarah Moore and I'm the UK workforce leader for PwC. Is there a pivotal moment or a person during your career that got you to where you are today? I started out in the organisation by accident. I wanted to do drama. My background is in drama and performing arts. And I genuinely joined this organisation to pay off my student loan. And I'm still here 25 plus years later. And that is thanks to the people that have worked with me and seen potential in me and something that I can bring and give. So there's a number of individuals in there that I might credit. You've totally then fallen into this, just wanted to make some money, and then you've ended up where you are today. It's amazing. Do you still do any drama in your fa- in your spare time, or has that been put to one side? I sit well. Every day's a drama, darling. So I truly think, Carla, you bring drama and you bring the skills that I learned and that I used when I was, and I, and I really did just do Amdram. I've done nothing professional, but I feel the skills that you have around understanding what's the motivation for this scene, what's the intention, what's going on for the other person on the other side of the table or who I'm having an interaction with, and really thinking about what they're bringing into the room and how you're coming across and what you're leaving with them. And I think particularly as a leader and in leadership roles, I think being really mindful of the shadow that you cast is important. So there's definitely a bit in the day to day that I think those skills are absolutely present. And I don't mean fake it till you make it or being disingenuous. I really do mean about connecting into the emotion. But to answer your question, I see a lot of theatre. I go all the time, but I don't do any myself. This is a bit tragic, but it's a bit like Pandora's box. I really feel if I went back to it, I'd find it too upsetting because I do I do have a yearning and a wistfulness for a different sliding door and a different path but what I have you're right what I've achieved here 
I'm not blowing my own trumpet. I think it's incredible, but it's incredible because of the people and the leaders around me that have helped me. That's amazing. Now, this topic of management, how we work, I'm totally obsessed with it. How do you think about the management of people and how do you approach it and how do you advise people to approach it? So I always start with who are your team? Who are the people that are working with you? And get to know them on a personal level. Do get to know what makes them tick, you know, what theatre shows they went to see and who they're inspired by, what's going on for them at home, why they're here and what brings them here today. So absolutely that number one. And then it's about thinking, okay, well, what are we trying to achieve here in the longer term, more strategically, but also in the immediate term? So there's always that balance around actually getting fit for the future, but then dealing with what's on the day to day and what you need to do. And then being really clear around what's the ask of the individual and giving enough so that you're clear on what the ask is, but you're not so overly prescriptive or micromanaging around it that they're not able to take it away and put their own stamp on it and their own, you know, that's why they're here and we're working together because they're talented people and we'd like to see what they bring because they will have a different perspective to mine. And that's really, really exciting. Do you manage or lead? And do you think there's a difference to those two things? I think that's a great question. And I know there's so much written. Yes, no, a bit of both. I'm going to do that sitting on the fence thing. But I do think there is a bit of both. Because I think to lead, you do need to lead successfully. It's about inspiring people to come with you and to bring their skills and be the best. To speak truth to power. I don't really like that phrase, but people can feel whatever they're here to do, it's about the skill they bring and not the hierarchy so that everyone's confident to bring that in the room. And I love, I get re- I'm getting excited talking about it now, that feeling of teamwork and bringing it all together and the sum of the parts of everything that you can do. So to lead and set a direction around that, that people can be excited and follow, I think is, is really important. But do you think you have to manage while that's going on? And if you don't manage, there's a risk that it can get a bit exciting and really go off track. So I do believe there's a blend. There's a lovely example that a colleague who I just love working with and adore, and he said to me, so beautifully framed, oh, because of your motivating and uh, unique way of working, Sarah, you give me a lot of latitude in terms of, you know, what I need to do, but could you give me some clarity around X, Y, Z? And it was just a really beautiful way of saying you have absolutely given me no direction whatsoever, (laughs) but just said, can you turn up and fix this thing? And he just needed a bit of something in the middle, um, which I think, which is fair enough. So I do think, I think you can do both. When we were doing some research for this conversation, there was a stat that jumped out at me, which was that 82% of managers are promoted into their positions for the wrong reasons. And that instead of elevating people with relevant experience and giving them adequate training, people are given managerial positions purely because they're popular or they're good at their current job or happen to be available to take charge. And I have to say, I kind of had my head in my hands for some of that because I recognised it, not necessarily for myself, but in some of the roles that people around me have had within my own organisation. How do we stop that happening, do you think? I do think, and I'm completely with you here, Carla, 
I do think we've got to be really alive to it and intervene when we see it happening. I think it also, that sort of behaviour and outcome doesn't help when we think about the diversity of our teams and our organisations moving forward, because I do think some of that stems from, I will appoint the person that I feel most comfortable with. Maybe that's the person that I know and work well. Maybe we're a bit similar. Maybe there's a halo effect in there. And I feel comfortable that I've got someone around me that they can do the job. And yeah, they've got a stretch, they've got a learning, but it's good for them. And I think sometimes I see, and I see this with some of my clients as well, this piece of Around, but they know the culture of the organisation. So that's the most important thing. And therefore, they're going to learn this other technical thing that they don't actually have the grounding for. And I feel if we could kind of, if we could come back and look at it from a skills perspective and an agility around the innate skills that people have, I feel we could make some more bolder decisions, but ones that could be more successful. Another point that I would make is around sometimes when people are recruited. So people are recruited because they bring something different or I've heard this phrase used before, they've got a spiky profile, but that's great because they'll help us think in a different way. And so said person is onboarded and their spiky profile is gradually nail filed down until all the the spiky bits have gone and they're very smooth and homogenous. And then we're, you know, it's worst case scenario, we're back to groupthink. So I was surprised by how large that statistic was. And I do still see that. And I think we need to be bolder and make some decisions that break that. Micro or macro management, which is better? Which do you advise brilliant managers to lean into? Well, the thing is, if I had to pick one, I would go to macro. But over the years, I've definitely... I'd like to think I've got some skills around, ah, but okay, Carla, what are you really after here? So I like to think I've got some funneling questions up my sleeve. So you can set me the macro ambition. Then I'll come and ask, you know, okay, all right, what are the parameters that I can work with? And then I really thrive on going away and being creative in that space and coming up with something. And I passionately believe that you get the best out of people in that way. So I am macro. Whether this fits or not, I always love the analogy of, is it an analogy? I think it is, of, um, um, the sun and the wind. I don't know if you've come across this one. No, no. So it's something I did at primary school. So there'll be lots of people listening thinking, yeah, we know we know this. But anyway, <laughs> person on a bench and the sun and the wind are having argy-bargy in the sky. And the wind is saying, I bet you I can get that individual's rain mac off faster than you can. And the sun's like, no, no way. I've totally got this. And so the wind steps up and, you know, huffs and puffs. And all that happens is the person you know hugs that mac even tighter to them and then the sun comes out and naturally relaxing takes off the coat and so for me that's something that I use from a leadership perspective I think you know the more that you grip someone the more they you know they hunch up and don't come with you the more that you can shine that warmth and sunshine the more people will blossom and open up and take a few risks and say I thought this it might be you know might not work but can I share this with you and and it's a really warm environment to come into I go back to that a lot and I did have I did have a a line manager and a leader that I think operated like the sun a lot. And I remember there was a piece of work that she asked me to do. And um, I said, oh, look, I've done it. I've drafted it. Will I send it to you first before I send it on to, you know, the end user? And um, I was reckon I was a kind of, you know, in a manager, newish manager position. So I was, you know, wanted to do the right thing. And she said, no, I trust you. 
And I'm like, no, no. Do you want to see that before I send that on? And she's like, no, I trust you. Well, just those words, those three words, I trust you. I think I worked harder on that piece of work because she trusted me and I didn't want to let her down. And then secondly, it was going out fully in my name. And I wanted to make sure that I had all of the I's and the T's done. And I learned, you know, there's a learning piece in there as well for me around in a world where we have risk and quality and we call it a four I review, you know, we make sure that all those checks and balances are in place. There was just something there around making sure that I was being compliant, but I was really happy with the end deliverable, but I wasn't micromanaging to it it was all done on a on a really mutual beneficial uh, approach which I loved and I've, I've really kept that with me nabbed that one for my own leadership kit bag I do think leadership management's quite it's like being a magpie isn't it you see little bits that other people do and think right I'm going to take that in and utilize it and give credit where it's due obviously but that's that's how you learn that's really how you learn okay I want to get to know you a little bit more now so we're going to ask some questions which I ask all of my guests nothing to do with management when and how do you prioritize yourself I love that first sort of 45 minutes of the day where I can have a coffee, a crumpet if it's the weekend, and I really take stock in that, right, where am I? And again, my I had a fabulous coach, you know, the whole piece around you draw your quadrants uh, on your piece of paper and what's urgent and important and what's important but not urgent, etc. That really helps me because it's just, it never ends. I think that was a really big learning for me around it just never ends. So how much of the mountain do you need to get through to feel that you can shut your notebook at the end of the day but that doesn't sound like it's prioritizing me is it but that keeps my mind still in that I know that I'm doing everything when I have I've got these two things project Sassoon and project Michelle that go in my diary so I love flexible working and agile working because there is a blurring of work life and home life so project Sassoon you won't be a brain surgeon to work this out is a hair and um this sounds awful but I've got quite unruly hair and it's very curly and wavy and needs taming and it also needs a little bit of colour more frequently uh, than I'd like so my thing is my hair and I am they love me in the hairdressers and so they should so I always make sure I've got time for that and then Project Michelle so the wonderful Michelle Obama and um, this makes me sound quite vain doesn't it but just having enough time not at all I love this (laughs) that woman's upper arms are incredible so every now and then particularly with Christmas season upon us I'll do a bit of Project Michelle, a little bit of weightlifting in the top room. So that's me, crumpets, weights and hair. What will you eat if you're home alone and no one is watching, bar the crumpets? So if I am genuinely home alone and haven't OD'd on half term, it will be crumpets, baked beans with a knob of butter in and grated cheese on top. Butter and baked beans, that is all wrong. (laughs) All wrong. You can do the cheese, but not the butter. I disagree with you on that. What is your bad habit? I think your bad habit is putting butter on baked beans, but you might you might have a different one. I couldn't one. live without dairy, I've got to say. I take on too much. I'm a bit of a magpie, so I will, um, this looks exciting, I'll do this thing. And then I'll be like, oh, I could do that in half an hour. And then I could do that in half an hour. And it means that I'm spread quite thinly. I mean, I like variety and spontaneity, but uh, yeah, they are the things that I think I could I could do better on. Okay. When did you last learn something new that has had an impact on the way that you live your life? I do love the John Lennon quote, 
life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. And years ago, I saw the most amazing movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, and I recommend anyone to go and see it. I'm writing that down Do now, Mr. Holland's Treat Opus. yourself, Richard Dreyfus, And... Um, it's just really amazing. It's an odyssey it's kind of through the 50s and over several decades about, you know, he wanted to be a musician. I wanted to be an actress and he ended up going into teaching. And there's just a whole piece, the theme in there around him striving for what if. And it's a bit like death of a salesman, a few more years and I'll be free and clear. And it's around just not looking at what's going on around you and you miss out on so much because you're so busy looking over there. And I just think if you're so busy looking over there, you just don't see the beauty of what's under your nose. So I would go there and I really would treat yourself with a compliment to watching that movie. I have written it down and I put a box next to it, which means it needs to be done. So it's on the list. Final question before we get back to the topic in hand. What's the best TV you've seen recently or the last series that you've binge watched? It is the genius that is Ted Lasso. And I'm going to go again. I love everything. Even my, my little notebook in the morning, my husband got it for me for my Christmas stocking last year. And it's a Ted Lasso notebook and it's got Believe at the top. And I love everything about Hannah Waddingham. I want that on record. That woman is just an icon. She's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay, we're going to get back to management and specifically looking at the future of management. So how do you see that evolving in the next five to 10 years? Well, it is going to rocket. Part of the data, the hopes and fears survey that we commissioned, there was a finding in there, which I thought was really interesting, that respondents said only a third of their managers tolerated failure or small scale failure. And for me, in this world of uncertainty and so much disruption, you have to experiment. You can't just take the safe road. You need to do it in a sustainable way and future-proof yourself. You can't put all your eggs in one basket and just go after that. But you have to experiment and you have to give your people permission to experiment. And again, one of the benefits of having been around for a while is, you know, I've been there at various points where the world of work has been disrupted by technology and how we've had to change behaviourally as a result. And we've always said, oh, you know, the machines are taking the jobs away and there'll be nothing left for us. But there is, it's about how can it augment what we do on a day-to-day -day basis? So I was quite saddened to see that statistic because I think management to be successful has to create a safe environment where people can be agile, try new things, fail fast, learn from it. It's all positive and then move on and get better. But that agility piece, I think, is paramount. But I speak to the, the Gen Zers within my organisation and other organisations, and there does seem to be less drive to climb that corporate ladder and more, a much more acknowledgement about the importance of work-life balance. Where are we going to get our managers for the future from? I welcome this challenge around... I'm not going to sacrifice everything to climb that ladder because 
you know, it's like the land at the top of the faraway tree. It might be the land that's full of lovely food and drinks and you want to hang out, but it could be one of the lands that are not good. And who's to say that what you find when you get up there is what you want? And I do think that links back to my point around life's what's happening is around you while you're busy making other plans. I also think, therefore, it's just different. There's still leaders and managers within that group they're just on a different path and it's more organic. It's going sideways and not in a bad way. It's sort of sideways and collecting something and moving up. I don't have an issue with that because I think we can benefit that different approach. It's being mindful around, is there apathy in there or disinterest or lack of drive? But I don't see those things. I just see a challenge around, why am I doing that? Why would I do that? And I like that. Okay. My real kind of hot topic within this, hybrid working. So how are we going to work in the future? If I look in all the data, every survey being done, every survey within my own organisation, everybody wants flexibility. I want flexibility. I'm talking to you from my house at the moment. I haven't had to get on a train to go into the office. But then people also want to learn from their colleagues. They want to create connections with people. So As an expert in this topic, what do you think the future of the office hybrid working, flexible working looks like? I think hybrid working is 100% here to stay. I think there are guardrails and a framework around it for it to be successful. I'm working with a number of clients, in fact, and there's a legacy of COVID restrictions where balance has shifted. There's a piece around employees in these couple of scenarios that I'm I'm referencing here that are being quite demanding around this is how we want to work and we choose not to come back to the physical environment and we choose to work in this way and if we're not allowed to then we will leave and something's gone wrong there with the deal or the value proposition of the organisation saying look this is what we believe is the optimum way of working and operating model and therefore this is the deal that we would want from our pl- employees And I think I'm seeing some organisations that are kind of struggling to get themselves back on the front foot around that. I also think there's industries or organisations that will pivot to a harder, more more people in the office line. And we see there's quite a lot in the press around some of this. But also when you dig underneath the headlines, a lot of it is two to three days a week that is, is present. It's hybrid working. And the other two to three days a week, depending on your profile, might be on client site, it might be in the field, it might be on the road, or it could be at home. And I think we just all benefit from being able to juggle our lives in that way. And you made a great point, Carla, around connection. And I think it's critical that organisations find a way of creating and maintaining connection. So in our hopes and fears survey, I think a quarter of people are thinking of leaving their job within the next 12 months. And that's increasing with a cost of living background. They will therefore be new joiners in new organisations. How can you create that connection if you're not physically in an office? I think there's something about brand and risk and quality and standards that, yes, you can teach remotely, but sometimes you need to feel a place to understand what it stands for and its cultures and the behaviours they're in. 
And I think there's how we learn from each other. And I don't want to go down a, hey, it worked for me, therefore it's got to work for everyone else. But just the act of sitting next to someone, for me, in my world, going to client site, shadowing someone, having a physical interaction, they're all learning. And it's much harder to do that in perhaps a more strained environment on screen. But for all of the benefits around I'm more globally connected than I've ever been, international travel doesn't disrupt my home life in the way that it used to. The environment, the benefits from an ESG perspective, you know, we should absolutely be grabbing with both hands and it comes back to technology, technology should be augmenting, you know, the way that we're doing work. I just want to pick up on one thing that you said there about I don't know whether you use the word power dynamic, but I'm that's what's yeah, making me think about it. But the the fact, the balance there between the employer and the employee, some of that has changed, let's say, during the pandemic. How are you advising companies to get that back so that an employee realizes that part of the dynamic or part of the contract is that they might be asked to do things they might not want to do, but they're going to have to? So I think setting out why it's important. I think asking for help shows humility. When you work in an organisation that you cherish or you cherish the work, you know, if particularly when you think about an organisation's purpose and why people might choose to work in that environment, I think talking to all of those things around how that organisation can be successful by in a service environment such as mine, by the people that are within it. But it might be a product environment and it's pride in the product, but you're not able to produce it if working in a way that's particularly optimal. So do thing in going to people's heads around the value proposition is important, but then going to their heart. And one of the things that came through from the, you know, the hopes and fears survey again, was around 84% of people have said that they can do their role effectively from home. But half of those respondents have said they miss human interaction. And I have a really clear view on this. You can do your job at home, you can do your tasks, and you can do them effectively, methodically, quickly, efficiently. But can you truly lead? And I do believe that it's that physical interaction that shows you as a leader that has to show up as well. You can't do one in isolation of the other. Yeah. I think I'm going to be lying awake tonight about two o'clock with some of these things that you've said, just dicking through my brain, (laughs) thinking about how we use them. Okay, Sarah. So a lot of the conversation today has been based on a on a hopes and fears piece of work. But personally, are you more anxious or hopeful about the future of management? I am full of hope for what the future holds and crucially what our amazing people existing in organisations now and coming through and coming out of school, what they can bring and how we'll all be learning as a result on that. So for me, the future is really exciting and I'm full of hope. And scene. The end of this story, all about the future of management. A huge thanks to my guest, Sarah Moore, Head of Workforce at PwC. I hope in this episode you learned something new and perhaps formed a new view on today's topic. Next week, WGSN's Create Tomorrow podcast is back with another episode exploring the concept of vehicles as vessels of entertainment. I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSN. I'll see you next time.